Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we are percolating with Death Wish Coffee's e-commerce director, Will Critcher. Death Wish Coffee is an amazing D2C brand that started in 2012, positioning itself as the world's strongest coffee and has now grown into an eight-figure coffee juggernaut and massively accelerating during the pandemic when we all turn to the bean to help us keep going. Will is a performance marketing veteran and this podcast is filled with usable advice on on how team alignment on the retail side of the business has created a halo effect in the D2C world, how a Super Bowl ad experience launched Death Wish and what it could do for you, why Death Wish super premium designation and their tagline as the strongest coffee in the world has been essential to their growth, um, and how the addition of a quick shop has exponentially increased the size and rate of their ad to carts. And you'll also find out why Will would direct our $50,000 grant that we offer fictitiously to test an ad traffic source that maybe not people have characterized best by orange and black. Some people call it Pornhub. I hope you enjoy this podcast. On with the show. User engagement has shifted from feed to reels, and the vast majority of money from advertisers being us is obviously put into feed, A, because it's staple and it's worked, but also because brands, not many, have figured out how to entertain and then sell in that format. Every time I end up opening up Facebook, it's almost becoming more and more and more of like a TV guide, less and less organic posting in there. And I think, how are we going to recognize what the next step should be if we're sitting here trying to perfect a creative and Facebook feed when people are using this less and less and less? Step one for us is to recognize that this space is drastically shifting. I wouldn't lie and say that we figured that out yet, but I think that we've got the appropriate framework to figure it out. Imperfect Foods, Instacart, Nespresso, and Coach all use Coley to generate TikTok videos that are on brand, on budget, and on time. As one of TikTok's first creative partners, Coley has the track record, know-how, and tools to help you TikTok your way to short-form glory. And now you can tap into that exclusive expertise with Coley's TikTok Creative Brief template. It has all the steps you need for successful creator collaborations and best practices to create fun and engaging TikToks. Head to coley.com slash TikTok to download your free copy and start creating TikToks for your brand that people actually want to watch. That's C-O-H-L-E-Y dot com slash TikTok. Will, welcome to the D2C podcast. Can we start with a little bit about the Death Wish coffee story? Yeah, we can absolutely start with that. So I've been with Deathwish for a little under four years. So what I'm telling you is piecemealed. Uh, you know, we are still a pretty small company, but it's always like the old wise tale. You know, like the founder says it to the best friend who we started with, and then it always just gets modified throughout time. But basically, uh, what took place is the the founder, Mike Brown, who is, uh, I, th- I believe he had a, his master's in finance and uh, became a CPA and was like, this is not my jam. I decided to open up a coffee shop here in Saratoga, New York. And uh, after a couple of years of running that shop, he would constantly have people come into the shop and, and say, ah, Mike, you know, what's your strongest cup of coffee? Can you give me your strongest cup of coffee? So he would just kind of pull from what, what he had. But then he started to realize, like, what is the world's strongest coffee? So he went to Google, as anyone would do, and he Googled world's strongest coffee and no results. And he was like, huh. 
opportunity. And so then from there, he went and, uh, you know, went through the process of sourcing different beans and, and doing all the investigation and research through uh, figuring out, you know, uh, how to get the, the most potency out of a coffee bean, sourced a bunch of different stuff, and was able to concoct uh, the world's strongest coffee, Deathwish Coffee. From there, uh, I believe is is pretty shortly after uh, we had, he had put the packaging together. Um, I believe Al Roker or someone from Good Morning America had come up to Saratoga, just, you know, unrelated and tried the cup and came in for a cup of coffee and Mike was like, oh, good opportunity, obviously. And um, it made an impact. They ended up calling him uh, later that day. I was like, wow, this coffee is incredible. You know, we'd love to, to come up and maybe interview you. You know, what do you think about that? And he's like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. We can make that work like, you know, like in a week or two. And he was, they were like, no, we'll be there tomorrow. So he's like, oh, shit. So they come up tomorrow. And at the time, again, uh, SCT, Saratoga Coffee Traders of the coffee shop, um, Death Wish was made in the basement of this little coffee shop. And so they came in to like see the operation. And it was just this like, you know, in, inside of a basement. Um, and from there, I think it just kind of propelled, you know, some of the awareness that the benefits that we saw. And then that rolled into us uh, competing to win a Super Bowl commercial, uh, which aired in 2017, which we did. Um, and that was the first the the first thing I did within the first that's like three or four hours of being employed at Death Wish. I was like, once I had my GA access, I was like, I want to see what that looks like. And I can tell you, it was, it was Mount Everest. It was, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. The number of impressions. I was seeing a lot of people have been talking about Super Bowl ads you know, on TikTok this year about how the CPM actually works out, especially for you who won a contest. It's free. Death yeah. Wish Coffees. Well, yeah, it was free 99 from Intuit, right? That was a great, great program on their part too, right? Because they're trying to they're trying to build a list of businesses. Pretty savvy move. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty great. I mean, I think I couldn't tell you if it's cost effective or not because we didn't pay for it. But I, I think that the math would check out even by like good 2018 Facebook CPM standards. You know, I think uh, the, the cost is probably still there. I'm sure, you know, Coinbase saw saw the, the positive benefit of that, too. What can you say about the, the scale that you saw there? Like, was it it was millions, millions, tens of millions of impressions kind of thing? Uh, well, from, from just sessions, I think we, we had over 3 million sessions in about a half hour period of time. Um, somehow, I mean, well, you know, kudos to Shopify, didn't break the website. Um, definitely, you know, at the time, I think the team was, uh, I think with production included, I think, you know, it was less than 10 people. Um, so as much as preparation went into it, you know, we still definitely got into a back order dilemma. Actually, I believe that that resulted in us getting kicked off of FBA Amazon because we couldn't fill, fulfill the orders. We had to, you know, restart all that process. But I, I want to say, yeah, it was, it was around three, two and a half to three million impressions um, within about uh, an hour long period. And then it just, you know, tapered off as it does. Yeah. And then you just get infinite replays for so long, I bet too, with people wanting to see the Super Bowl, you know, commercials after the fact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was pretty, it was pretty great. Well, again, I wasn't here. I just got to see the after effect, but it was a pretty incredible thing to see. And I'm just, when I Google it, there seems to be more than one response. Was it just the one Super Bowl commercial that you guys did? You didn't come back and do it again? Yeah, correct. We just did the one. We've talked about it constantly to doing it again, but I think we definitely operate in a in a very frugal, efficient mindset. And we're like, hey, can we afford that? And like, we, we can, and we probably should get back into it. Um, but yeah, just, just the one in 20, we won in 2016. It was the 2016 season, but I think it aired uh, February, 2017. Now we'll get into the nitty gritty. And I want to get into your history as well, just because you've got a, a unique background here. But I just wanted to, also highlight just on what you've said so far. And it's something it, I read a Dave Gerhardt post on uh, on LinkedIn today. And he was just talking about as a CEO, how important it is. Like, you know, you got you to gotta watch the revenue. You got to keep the revenue where it needs to be. Then you also have to be the keeper of your business's story and how important it is to have that story, have it be something that, as you say, that evolves over time, essentially. But it's like that story is why Al Roker wanted to talk to you. That story is why you won the Intuit, right? Is that you actually had this key differentiator in your product. Yeah, yeah. I, 
all I can do is, is, is praise the, the people that were here before me, and some of them are still here today, as well as Mike Brown, in, in understanding the power of brand and community and story and that small business element. As we've, we've kind of, I wouldn't say we've outgrown those shoes, but we've just, like a child, you just kind of like mature from elementary to middle to high school. I'm not, I'm not really sure what, what, what grade scale we are. I'd like to think we're like getting our master's, maybe we're like, we're in graduate school, perhaps. Um, but it, like, it's always been an emphasis on, uh, on, on generating, on making sure that we um, remember who we are, remember uh, where we came from and, and, and creating context and familiarity with our customers and, and just audience as a whole. Not every brand that popped in 2016, 2017, not every D2C darling is still popping or is still profitable. Um, so I just kudos on the whole organization um, for, you know, continuing to grow at such a crazy pace. Conveniently enough, too, uh, we we did things a little backwards at based on uh, fr- from the Super Bowl commercial, I think. But um, typically when, you know, we're a DNVB and we've, we've actually been, this is our 10 year uh, anniversary. They're not, not today specifically, but this is our 10 year in business of selling online our uh, Death Wish Coffee. And uh, so the commercial happened about four to five years in that window. But due to the emphasis we put on brand and storytelling and just our differentiator and where we were at being, you know, very, I would say like a, a challenger brand or disruptive in that process, we found, um, you know, when we, we decided to scale into retail, typically, you know, you get the the smaller retailers and the local, um, you know, grocery stores at that level. And then eventually one day you get to the, the Walmart situation and uh, we were the exact opposite. We had the Walmart. And so then we had to kind of figure out how to, how do we get into, you know, some of the, I, I, I want to say smaller, you know, but um, you know, like the Smiths of, of, you know, like they just don't have the, the same amount of distribution points. So, um, you know, we, we actually, it worked in reverse for us. So it's been, been very interesting on how we tried to scale that. Which was helpful. I bet. I bet it's easier to sell to smaller places when you've got the giants. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's also you know again we're you know we're admittedly like what what we've uh, we've grown into and matured to and, and improved our process, but it's also um, you know it's a very different skill set when people are coming to you asking for your product versus you having to go sell your product, right? You know, and so we've had to kind of you know recognize that, um, it, which we always do. I don't think we go into anything with an ego per se, but I think we we were riding such a success. We we're like once we kind of had these big players, and we re- realized that the volume of like influx of interest wasn't really there. We're like, well, what's happening? Like we're Death Wish Coffee. We're like, oh. Wait, yeah, you have to develop a sales team. You have to go go out there and get that, and which which we've deployed and, and done quite well. I think when I started, we were in uh, under a thousand retail stores, and today I think we're like over twenty k. Unbelievable, that's amazing. Well, let's let's go back because I was I was on your uh, I was on your LinkedIn profile, and I was kind of looking at your history and kind of where you came. Can you talk a little bit about your marketer's hero's journey? Yeah, yeah. So true story. Uh, we, when everyone is a kid, and they're like, "Oh man, you know, like, or what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor or a princess." And I remember clearly. I was like, I had to be between ten and fifteen. I was like, I want to be a marketer. I had no idea why. It sounded so cool, and I just, I, but I did understand the concept of like playing into the psychological role and impact on people to make decisions, you know, make big, make, make transactional decisions. And so I guess in the grand scheme of things, I got to wake up or, you know, grow up and become, you know, exactly what I wanted to be. But so, yeah, I played professional paintball for, for a few years. Um, I think, uh, like from like 16 to 19, uh, which was a ton of time. And like, that was like, that's what I'm going to do. And so, but pretty much like once that finished, when I became 18, I've been in the marketing space throughout my entire life or my, my adult life. Um, is this the closed version? Is this the, is this the one with all these sort yeah. of the, the obstacles, like the speed game? Yeah, yeah, X ball. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Actually, yep. I don't even think it's called X ball anymore. I, I don't know. I've, I've been out of the game for a minute. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But uh, and he went to MIT. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, I ended up uh, tearing my meniscus. I like them apples. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Actually, I did get academically dismissed though. Uh, that, but that's oh, that's even better. That's cooler. Yeah. Well, uh, to be honest, it's a lot harder to get kicked out of MIT than it is to get in. I think like once you get in, like they, they do everything you can to keep you in. But my my mind was set on starting my own agency, and you know I was like oh, I could do it better, and uh, that did not work out. But uh, yeah, so I I got academically dismissed from MIT. Uh, I've grown up kind of all over the country, so I went back to uh, South Lake Tahoe, Nevada, uh, started a um, um, a graphics marketing company um, and didn't work out too well. And then I took a job working with a pretty sizable um, uh, print news uh, publication or publisher focusing on their digital side. Um, then I got that, you know, hair up again and decided to, uh, you know, do it better. And so I started my own agency, Unveil. Uh, ran that for, um, it's about four years. And then in 2019, I was able to uh, have a, a moderately, a modestly successful exit with that. Um, about, yeah, so I, I, I managed Unveil a year after starting with Deathwish. And then actually I took the Deathwish position thinking I'm like, oh, I can kind of do it like on the side because I'm toxic and I'm like, you know, I'm always like, feed me more hours, more hours, more hours. And especially like when you love what you're doing, it's not really work. It's just like, you know, you just got to have like restraint. And so, um, yeah, so then I've just been with Deathwish since uh, since then. I always love hearing about, you know, I'm partnered with an agency. Uh, I'm al- I always love hearing about agency exits, moderate or not. What was the key to getting that packaged up and sold? Uh, I think the, what my focus of business was. So, uh, what I somehow got really, really into real estate marketing and, and, uh, you know, obviously we don't know each other very well, but I'm not, um, I'm not the first person you would think of that would, uh, be really good at making relationships with real estate agents and, 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 and that demographic of people just because I typically tend to be uh, a bit more casual. Um, but at the time, uh, especially in Nevada, uh, the real estate market was booming. So you had the Tahoe Reno industrial center, which, uh, Tesla, um, was bidding to put their gigafactory, uh, Northern Nevada had won that bid. Uh, so when that took place, in addition to the rise rising cost of, um, of the housing market and just taxes and so on and so forth in California, there was a huge migration from SF to Northern Nevada. Uh, and so I, I worked with um, uh, an independent brokerage to develop a, um, a live in the city campaign, more or less, where essentially we were just, uh, I think the, the brokerage that I was uh, predominantly working with, they generated more sales in the month of February than Remax Realty Affiliates, uh, which is the uh, largest Remax brokerage in the entirety of the West Coast, I think of like the entire Western seaboard um, did in in the entire first quarter. And so, and it was all just playing off of that. And so I was also in a long distance relationship at the time. And uh, my, my girlfriend lived uh, here in New York. And so I had an opportunity to kind of scale it out and move to the East. And so when that, when that took place, there was um, uh, an agency uh, uh, far more substantiated in, uh, in Reno um, and was just able to kind of pass along that, that book of business. That's perfect. But, it's an evergreen thing because they're always going to want people to move there. Yeah, somehow owned the real estate advertising market in in Reno for about three years, like un- unintentionally, but it worked out really well. <laughs> I love it. It's the first real estate ads and the first paintball mentions that we've had on the podcast. So I appreciate that. The last thing I just wanted to mention about your career too, it looks like you started in as sort of indirect marketing, kind of brought in maybe more as a consultant basis and then very quickly became the director. Can you talk a little bit about that process when you got to get Deathwish? That's a that's a really good question. I think, um, and I, I can't say I've had to really formulate uh, uh, my thoughts around it. Um, yeah, so 
my my involvement on uh, with Deathwish when I was hired was to take over all the direct advertising. So uh, email, uh, SMS was kind of budding at the time, uh, but predominantly the, the performance marketing. So paid social, paid search, as well as oversee the entire Amazon side of the business. I would say over the course of the year, uh, as the company grew, um, and as everyone, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, like everyone's wearing multiple, multiple hats. Um, no different here. Um, and so as we kind of grew and developed in, we uh, brought in, um, he was our COO, Mike Pilkington, who is now our CEO. The, the man changed my life you know he was uh you know my my thought was like i want to always i want to be a cmo i want to be a cmo here at Deathwish. and uh he was like i really think you need to go into more of the e-commerce focus and i was like you can get the hell like not interested and just over the course of a couple of months he just you know was able to make it very clear to me that this was the path that i should kind of lean more into and um through that process just went into the e-com management and then the director role um i honestly like most days i think it's, it's all smoke and mirrors you know i'm just like i'm like yeah, like you guys trust me that's crazy you know what i mean but like it's it, it, it's awesome Imposter syndrome is real in this space, definitely. I'm I'm just curious on that. Like we haven't talked about that kind of thing before. Why do you think he pushed you towards director of e-commerce versus CMO based on your strengths? The best way I could answer that question, which unfortunately I don't think is going to be the answer you're looking for, is that um, Mike Pilkington is the top one percent of the top one percent of of human leaders, and and I think I've been privy uh, to quite a few. Uh, encounters with with people who who work in the space and who are very very good and I would challenge challenge almost any any organization or, or any any true human human leader the, that that Mike Pilkington is probably a little bit better and so so why why he did it I can't exactly tell you he just somehow understands humans and and he doesn't have a uh, he had no e-commerce background or experience he's just he comes from. Um, uh, from Cisco, actually. So, but so he understands the, the the food space, but he just understands people. Like, and he read me better than I thought I I knew me. That's for sure. Amazing. And I I I, I my I would intuit it has something to do with the fact that you had so much hands on experience in this stuff, and and to be a real player in in that side of the business, you're not just moving pieces around. There's there's a lot of operation that has to happen to get it off the ground. Yeah, yeah, and that's where that's where part of um, like so, some of the the difficulties that that I faced, even you know, again, owning your own agency, you know, it's like I did have a couple of full time employees, but that doesn't qualify me as a as a leader. You know what I mean? That that just means that I'm the gun guy responsible for everything at the end of the day. Um, and so that transition from from uh, direct advertising to the director of e commerce here at Deathwish um, requires quite a bit of a, a mind shift. You know, when it comes to working in the business versus working on the business, working through you know the the, the people that we bring in to support the company or support the company, uh, people to support the role and and the, the vertical itself. Um, and so uh, that transition has been, has proven to be difficult. It's not because I'm a type A person. I'm just one of those, like, rather than ask, I'll just spend the 30 minutes doing it when it's like, that's not what, like, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So it, it does, it does, um, it makes sense why I think like I've got a lot of the right um, uh, tools in my tool belt and a lot of familiarity with those tools. Um, it's just more so like recognizing like, you know, when it's time to wear the tool belt versus when it's time to not worth it, but I guess it reminds me so much of a, of a again, I, I reference little TikToks I've seen all the time, but this I saw a TikTok about Steve Jobs talking about one of the biggest mistakes they made in the, the middle of their company's growth was thinking that they had to hire a bunch of professional managers. Like they were like, we need to have a bunch of professional middle managers in here. And they kind of effed up the whole company. And he then realized that what you need is to hire doers and, you know, people that know what they're doing and don't want to be managers. The best managers are, are, are people that don't want to be managers, but kind of do it begrudgingly out of the fact that they realize that to achieve their goals and to do what they want to do in the company, you've got to be a manager. So I thought that was interesting. It sounds like it fits you to a T a bit. 
It's, it's kind of like that ideal uh, presidential candidate, right? It's like the person who should be the president should be the person who doesn't want to be the president. Does not want to be think. the president. I, I, think, yeah. I think all countries should have a leader that's like, I'm only coming in for one term and my only goal is to clean things up a little bit. But that's that's neither here yeah. nor there. Um, <laughs> we, won't, we won't get it. We'll do a politics podcast later. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to. So, so when you did, so like, I'm, I'm just curious, like when you came in, um, you know, maybe your first, once you were, because it only happened within your first year, you'd kind of ascended to the, to the e-commerce director kind of position. What were your like first big key steps you did when you, when you kind of came in to put, put your stamp on things? So uh, one thing that we've done um, like extremely well prior to me being here is uh, I would say our top two commodities, number one being the coffee bean, number two being an email address. And so Mike has always understood the value and the power of that first party data. And so the team um, always geared around, you know, growing our list, but also making sure that we, um, we utilize that channel as a sales channel. And so when I started if we had a product release or we were doing some type of promo, we'll say like every other Friday, um, the email would have the promo or the product at the top. And then it would split to a two column section where there would be two pieces of high performing content that were typically related to whatever that, that product was. And then beneath that, uh, we release a podcast every week. And I recognize that, you know, at sometimes some of that content was very high performing. Sometimes it would be uh, the content was proved to be viral through through social. And so it's like if the goal of this of this email is to sell that product, then all of this is not contributing to it. But all of this is supporting that we are doing something right. And let's let's create a newsletter called The Scoop. And so, um, so what we did is we just, we essentially just stripped everything out. So the only thing you could do within a sales email was click or do the thing that we would, you know, that, that we wanted you to do. Um, and then we pulled all the content out and then formulated it into a weekly, uh, scoop newsletter. Um, the scoop newsletter, I think not to, not to offend you, but I, th- I think we grew to like a hundred thousand, uh, subscribers, you know, like relatively quickly, which we, we were excited about, you know, we had, I think like on average, like a 40% open rate, we were, we had a ton of fun. And so we're able to see, um, you know, the, the bifurcation between you know selling with content and content that sells and then like you know we saw the improvement within our uh, our, our sales focused emails um, so uh, I think I think that that certainly helped um, display my, my worth in the sense of you know focusing on one thing ended up creating two things um, you know just being you know laser focused which is a, an ironic statement coming from me because I as much as I'm not like all over the place I just I, I, I feel like I can juggle a hundred things but in reality I can barely walk and chew gum at the same time um, and so I, I think <laughs> you have enough I caffeine think, running through your veins to come <laughs> It doesn't help. Doesn't help. Yeah. Um, and so um, I, I, th- I think that certainly did help. Um, you know that. In, in addition to, um, I, I would say the scoop. And honestly, I, th- I think I, I honestly think it has to do with like because I I haven't worked a day in a long like since I have started on Veil. And I think that creates a situation for me personally where it's like, it's not so much that like I'm uh, perceptually, like I'm a workaholic, right? But, but I don't I don't look at it that way. Granted, I need limits. I need to create my boundaries and, and make sure I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket, so they say. But I think because of that, um, it, it, it uh, I think it, it displayed um, my tolerance, my work ethic, you know, my interest and passion through that process too. I, I think it's uh, my, my character, I think kind of helped situate me um, to transcend uh, the position that I was currently hired to, to do at Deathwish. iOS 14.5, the infamous Apple update left D2C brands struggling to find and market to the right audiences. That's why hundreds of D2C brands are turning to Black Crow AI. Their plug-and-play machine learning technology measures in real time every visitor's likelihood to buy to build predictive audiences for retargeting and prospecting. 
In short, Black Crow can significantly boost ROAS by helping you specifically target people who will actually want to buy from you. Find out why brands like Magic Spoon, Barabee, and Liquid IV are using Black Crow AI. Visit blackcrow.ai to learn more and request a 30-day free trial. How do you? How would you explain your meteoric rise on Amazon? Was it just that everything else was firing on all cylinders? You had the demand out there, so your shoppers just happened to be on Amazon as well, or you, was it a very aggressive sort of ad campaign to do it? Uh, I think a little bit of the latter. Um, we, you know, we we did. Uh, we were using a managed service when I started on the paid side for Amazon. And then quickly, uh, I would say like about three or four months after that, brought that in-house. And because I'm a glut for punishment, I'm like, no, let's just do it the, the you know old school way with Excel and spreadsheets and you know <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, so we definitely had some pretty effective advertising. But I also think the um, our product is typically, it's always ranked, and I believe this was before I started, um, has always ranked very, very high on um, best product to gift. So I think during the, the Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, obviously Prime Day, um, and then getting into the BFCM phase, I think that um, always having really great positioning um, around the, you know, the giftability of our product, I think it just kind of helped keep us afloat and keep us going through it. Um, but it, I would really say it's that, that, and it's just, you know, people shop on Amazon and, um, and, and we're, we're not afraid to to put money behind putting ourselves out there and prospecting. You know, we recognize that some campaigns might have an 80% A cost, which is perfectly fine because our our branded is at three, you know? So, it, it, you know, like we're, we're not afraid to do that. And I think, you know, one of the other benefits is that we're not, we weren't beholden to any shareholder situation. So it's like, we're allowed to kind of take these risks and take ownership and just kind of, you know, uh, I, I think Mike Brown said this as much as I would like to take credit for it. Cause I said it one time and Mike said, I, I stole it from him. So I like, to think that I'm as smart as Mike Brown. Um, but, you know, the, the goal is that, you know, in X number of years, you know, instead of people walking around saying, oh, you know, let's go get a Starbucks, they'll say, I want a death wish. Granted, totally different uh, coffee consuming experience, but that's always, always stuck with me. And especially when Mike validated it, uh, that I allegedly stole it from him. Um, I think it's, it's, um, it's been something that like, uh, it's kind of like a byline in how we operate. You know, like sometimes we'll even talk to people who are in the space or just, you know, like e-commerce or just marketing as a whole. And they're like, oh man, your social is so edgy and it's so cool and whatever. And like, we'll sit here and have conversations and we'll say like, man, that post we just made was, you know, as sharp as a butter knife. We're like, like, what are we doing here? Like we're losing our touch, but kind of hearing it from outside points of view, I think kind of lets us know that we're still like, you know, we're, we're trying to keep continue to be edgy and sharp and bold. Um, and I, I skipped right over this, uh, but you, you, when you mentioned the podcast news, first of all, for that, for you to come in and make those like part of your initial role, like th- those aren't always the things that have the biggest initial impact. So good on you for like investing in some, in these longer term plays potentially. How did that work? Like how did, like how, how do you quantify the impact of your newsletter and podcast, for instance, with your, with your customers? Oh, that's a good, that's a, that's a good one. Um, well, I, I'd like to think that, um, I wish I could say, you know, that we could look at uh, the, the, we utilize Klaviyo as our ESP. And I, I wish I could say like, oh, look, hey, you know, we sent an email that um, only points to content. You know, we even actually drove traffic away from our website in certain cases. Um, and, but, you know, when we sent this out, there's there's revenue is attributed to that. And, and a lot more than what we thought, you know, that then it would, you know, in theory deserve. Granted, Klaviyo is not just 
saying that like, hey, this blog sold a, a product. We also have a pretty significant um, subscription side of the business. Um, so, you know, th that, that helped kind of substantiate it. But one thing that we um, were able to also, I think, find, find that validation through our own customers is that we have a, a pretty sizable um, uh, community page on Facebook where we don't manage it. It's just a, it's a customer started. I think there's 10 or 12,000 people in this uh, Facebook community page. And we would see just, you know, prior to the publication on Monday um, or, you know, even Monday or Tuesday, you would just see tons and tons of conversation kind of, you know, permeating through there, which again, made us feel like, okay, we're, we're kind of on that right track. Um, and then in addition to that, I actually had a, a pretty cool experience when I was, uh, I did a, a keynote for uh, at Clavio Boston in 2019 talking about the scoop. And I had a death wish sticker on my laptop. I was like at the bar after the first day and this guy came up and uh, he was like, oh, hey, are you here for the conference? We kind of BS him for a minute. And he was, uh, he like looked at the sticker and he was like, I've seen that before. He's like, I don't drink coffee, but I've seen that before. And I was like, yeah, I work for Deathless. She's like, yeah, why do I know that? He's like, I don't drink coffee. And he's like, wait, didn't you guys like send an email where you like made, like said like, hey, Richard Simmons is Gene Simmons after he drinks Deathwish coffee and you made like this weird gift, which we did and we put into an email. I was like, yeah, we did do that. And I was like, that's incredible. This person who doesn't even drink coffee was like able to kind of associate it. Granted, you know, what does that do to, you know, satisfy a C-suite? I think as long as we're, um, our activities are producing the, uh, helping us uh, produce the revenue outcomes that we're looking for. Um, and we're seeing, you know, uh, they were able to observe like positive sentiment, list growth and engagement. I think that that at the time it satisfied, you know, uh, our efforts or it satisfied, um, you know, people questioning any reason why we, why we made those decisions. I love it. Now, you know, and this is just take this from a newsletter, man, but it's, it's a smart play. I got to say building the newsletter. I just got off a call this week with a high level CPG guy who's looking at his next product. And instead of building a product is, is thinking about building the content first in a lot of ways. You, you guys, you know, you built the product and then built the content to support the community and things, but there's that other play. And that's kind of what we're doing in a way where you sort of create the audience query the audience and then create products for them. And I, and I imagine you can do that with future products you release. Yeah, I, th I think, yeah, it's a, it's a, an example of a, what does it be called? A linear commerce, right? Where, you know, you've got, yeah, you have, you know, your, your publishers have to productize their content and then the, the, the manufacturers have to, uh, somehow generate content to help supplement the product that they produce and, um, you know, or, and building an audience prior to releasing the product. I think, um, again, like we, we were already like, you know, I think well into the game at this point, but we, you know, a, we had a really great time, but we also saw the, the lasting, some of the lasting benefit that came from it actually, um, uh, yeah, from, from, from producing that work. And I think, um, the, the newsletter, there was, I believe I, I read this, um, I can't remember the guy's name who, uh, the founder of Morning Brew, but I, I read this article um, or essay that was put together as to like his process as to like what went into creating the, the Morning Brew. And he, I, I believe he broke it down into like three steps. He's like, step one is we're going to do this. Step two is we're going to do this because of step one. Step three is here's the outcome. And I was like, the, it seemed like a very simple, granted a ton of thought had to go into what those, like what comes after that colon for each step, but it helped create that, 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 um, you know, that business case for generating that newsletter. And so we'd already launched a scoop when I read this. And so we, we took that and, uh, you know, kind of re like went through that exercise ourselves to, to, to validate that. And I, I get it too, from like being, you know, if you're a lean team or if you're, you know, trying to launch a product, you look at the paid advertising side, which is a total shit show. Now it's not even, it's nothing like what it used to be. Obviously, um, it's, it's hard to generate, um, to get buy-in from founders, especially if they created a product and they're looking for sales and say, Hey, it'd be really cool if we like invested a ton of time and effort into generating content or a newsletter that's not, you know, selling your product. It's, you know, it's helping answer questions or it's helped sell. It's providing a solution, you know, it's a you know, selling solutions type thing. Um, it's a little harder to, to um, get the buy-in, but I think the, 
I, I don't think there's really any examples. I'm sure that there are, but like that I'm familiar with examples of where where uh, a company, especially someone D2C, goes that route and it did not pay dividends, right? But you see tons of examples of people who don't do that. And then when Facebook changes its algorithm, they lack the comprehension and knowledge to to adjust and pivot. So they're not insulated. But what content marketing does, it insulates you from, you know, it turns you into a distribution you know, channel. From. It turns your e-commerce business into its own distribution channel in a lot of ways. If you can create that channel to your audience's affinity through content, then you can kind of keep that channel open regardless of ads, which is uh, which is the beauty of content marketing. Big shout out to Alex Lieberman, founder of Morning Brew. If you're listening, if anyone knows Alex Lieberman, I'd love to have him on the podcast. Just to give him a big thanks, There's they put out so much content, so much high value content about the process of building a newsletter as they were building it, that I have to think they've launched, you know, a thousand newsletters or more have kind of launched from all that content they put out there. That's a great call. I wonder how many. I wonder how many newsletters that that um, by them publishing out that process, like that they're responsible for, you know, helping helping start up. Okay, so let's talk. I was. I love. This is my new thing now. With every time before we have a podcast, I like to go on uh, SEM Rush. Uh, we're, we're trying to get a sponsorship deal, so SEM Rush, talk to me and look at your organic. Some of your organic um, keywords that you're ranking for, and there's one that really stood out to me, and I bet you know what it is. You're doing extremely well, number one with a bullet on the search term, why does coffee make you poop? Why would that be the case? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. No, it, <laughs> no I'm yeah, it totally, totally makes sense. You get 22,000 uh, impressions on your why does coffee make you poop article. Where, where did that piece come from? Uh, well, I think probably someone was taking a poop while they, and they're like, man, I'm in here. <laughs> I'm in here a lot. And it was probably, you know, Megan or, or somebody who's on our content marketing team. Yeah. And they were just like, man, we should write some content about this. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off your SEM rush plug. And, and we're actually looking at, uh, we've been talking to uh, dude wipes and we're like, there's an opportunity here. Like there's clearly poop, like dude wipes and coffee. <laughs> like, come on, there's an opportunity here um yeah that's so good i think um you know outside of like for us in the end like in, in our space it's like there's some some obvious like layups and low-hanging fruit and i think that that just happens to be one of them what else like how do you approach because you, you know your content marketing is dialed how, how do you approach your your because you're i guess you guys are just cruising along here at you know over a hundred thousand visitors a month kind of thing what, what what's your sort of strategy for seo going forward I think right now, what where we how we look at at SEO, right, is that you know fr from the coffee space, right? There's a, I'm gonna speak over, I'm gonna oversimplify it. Let's say that there's there's only so many things that you can generate specific to the term and the phrasing of coffee and the type of like you know that, that consumer intent, you know, like that intent based searching. And I think that we've we've identified a handful of them. Um, you know, like why does coffee make you poop? Coffee stains, right? For instance, like uh, actually, that that was uh, one that we did. Um, I don't think the search volume is, is as high as you would think it would be. Uh, but the uh, one thing we looked at was like, okay, if, if the psychology of somebody who is typing like how to remove a coffee stain from insert you know something in their house or like you know car seat. So what that validates is that that either they or someone they are like closely related to consumes coffee. Um, and then we could also probably assume that they're probably not super stoked that they're having to Google how to remove this. And so I was like, okay, let's let's see if we can rank number one for how to remove coffee stain from insert said thing. Um, and then we write, you know, again, uh, information on, on, on best practices and how to do that. And we believe that, um, you know, people will certainly click through to that because although we are not Clorox, right, we are an expert in coffee. And so therefore, you know, the perceptual, like we are an expert on speaking on the, on the process. So, um, 
if we can then provide that information to, um, you know, to likely the, the right audience who, depending upon, you know, if it's them or, you know, maybe a significant other or so on and so forth that's searching it. Um, but then if we can also, well, like, how can we maybe change their psychology? So while we were looking at, at ways to remove coffee stains, um, I, I think someone said, uh, I, I think we found something that was like, yeah, uh, pour beer on it. And so I immediately was like, like, okay, so there's a coffee stain, you like pour stout on it, like that, that wouldn't work. And I was like, wait, that would be really funny. Let's, what if we like supply like the best practices and information we can on like how to remove coffee stains plus anything that we know through our master roaster. And then like in the end of it, like encapsulate in a video, like how to remove coffee stains and like put coffee in like a white couch, like pour beer on it. Obviously like it's not going to remove it, but it's just like changing the psychology of, or the mindset of the person who's looking for that answer. I think one of them is like, you know, how to remove coffee stain, like, oh, you light it on fire. So like we burnt the whole, I think it was like a t-shirt up. But the whole point of that is to, you know, rank in something that um, is relevant to, you know, whoever is searching it up. But then in that case, we're like, how can we shift the the mindset where it's like, they're not interested maybe at the time in buying coffee, they're just interested in getting rid of this. But if we can like make them kind of laugh at like, yeah, it'd be great if I could just burn my car seat or I could burn my curtain or something like that. And then perhaps that might um, uh, intrigue them to you know, sign up for email and purchase our coffee. The one that's most interesting to me besides the does coffee make you poop is your whole page that you have on Norse mythology. A reference, is that because your Super Bowl commercial featured Norse mythology? How does North mytho- uh, mythology get tied into Death Wish? We partner, uh, I, I'm not sure when, um, certainly before I started, uh, with the famous guitarist um, from Black Sabbath, Zach Wild. Um, and I think at the time there was a few uh, rock stars and musicians who were like coming out with their own craft beer and coffee. And so Zach certainly wanted to do it, found a great fit with us. So um, we we uh, move forward and we have Valhalla Java, which is a, um, I believe it's a medium roast blend. It's actually super, super tasty. It doesn't have the same caffeine potency as our, uh, um, as Death Wish coffee. Um, and so from that, I think when we had the, uh, the, so our logo is actually like the, the original intention of it is actually meant to be like a, a poison warning, right? Like, like that, that was the whole like skull and crossbones. But when, when the, um, into it, Super Bowl commercial got made, they took that and then their understanding or awareness of Zach Wilde and how he's kind of this long bearded, almost kind of like Viking looking type person. And so they, they made it into this whole, you know, Viking ship component, which is, which was fine. And the commercial is great, but I think it kind of set this, this messaging that we're like, you know, that we are this like kind of like type of Viking coffee and this whole, like, you know, this whole Nordstrom type thing. And so we just kind of rode that wave, right? Like that's not like we, we could have like, you know, fought against it, but you know, I think like, who are we to tell the market how they should feel, you know? And so I think we just kind of we 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 leveraged it but i think that's that's really kind of where where uh where that content came from and it's funny you're still getting traffic on it no matter you did this even maybe before your time you're still you just moved up to the top 10 on that page up 15 spots on Norse mythology, maybe it's with the Northmen coming out. I don't know if there's a uh, which is a great movie by the way. I saw that last week. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I think. I mean, there's been like a, a high influx of um, like Viking shows and and things like that too. So I think it's just been kind of it's kind of been a bit of a trending topic for a while too. So, um, what else? So we haven't talked about paid social. Where where are you guys at with you know a, a lot of the growth that we've talked about has been on Amazon and you know other places with, with SEO. What what has your your paid social presence been like with Deathwish? That's. <laughs> I, I wonder I wonder if my initial reaction I just gave you is similar to other people who are in the in the similar space, you know, and I think I think we handled iOS 14.5 decent. You know, I think I think we were, you know, for what we could do to, you know, um, yeah, make pivots um, where we are today, though, I think um, utilizing social as a, uh, you know, paid social as uh, as a growth as a growth channel. 
um, uh, both from like an actual acquisition and also kind of a, a, an awareness, you know, feeder like a farm system. Um, I think we've we found um, different obstacles that we're not necessarily familiar with. And I, I think those obstacles are best described from my perspective in Facebook's uh, Q4 earnings report and, and specifically the CFO's summary statement. And I, I'm going to butcher this, but, you know, he basically said he or she, I'm actually I'm not sure, um, uh, basically said that the, uh, you know, Q1 is looking to underperform, you know, what they had projected prior to. And the reason for that is um, user engagement has shifted from feed to reels, which is not news to anybody, right? And so obviously he said feed to reels. He didn't say Facebook to TikTok, which is also definitely the case, or Instagram to TikTok. Um, and the vast majority of money from advertisers being us is being, is obviously put into feed, right? Because um, A, because it's staple and it's worked, but also I think because brands, not many, have figured out how to entertain and then sell in that video, in the, in that format. And so um, I think some of where we stand currently with it is that, um, eh, like, and again, this is my opinion. I'm not sure. I have no data to back this up. But it, but I think, like, every time I do end up opening up Facebook, it's I'm actually, it's it's almost becoming more and more and more of, like, a TV guide, like a like an advertising platform. Like, a, it's, like, less and less organic posting in there. And I think, I think that's... Facebook trying to kind of compensate for what they're expected to, what they were expected to underperform on um, on their Q1. So where we're at is that when when we started to recognize some of the challenges, you know, higher acquisition costs, it just wasn't doing what it was doing this time last year, like you know, not even close to a degree. And so uh, I think there's a book uh, it's called Wanting by Luke uh, Luke Burgess. That's um, uh, on the power of mimetic theory. But long story short, he said something not related to Facebook advertising at all. But he said stop burning witches, and it had to do with um, climate change. It doesn't matter. Uh, but anyway, so uh, that, oh, we'll that get into it out, later. <laughs> yeah, that, that stood out to me so much, and I was like, you know, we, we're never going to be able to to figure out how um, what pivots or how to solve um, this this paid social uh, dilemma that we're facing, right? Like not through an agency, not through a resource, until we stop burning witches. Like, like if the context there is that science isn't what said, hey, we need to stop burning witches because witches are not responsible for weather change, right? Like we stopped burning witches and then science became more prevalent. And therefore then they were like, oh, okay, obviously that, that helps validate that. And so I think, how are we going to, um, you know, recognize what the next step should be if we're sitting here spending a lot of time trying to perfect a creative in, in in Facebook feed when the CFO of a publicly traded company said, like people are are using this less and less and less, right? And so I think um, the step one for us is to stop burning witches and to to recognize that the the space is drastically shifting. And um, I, I I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't lie and say that that we've that we figured that out yet, but I think that we've got the uh, the appropriate framework to um, try and and figure it out. So that means you're you're sort of skipping the feed and focusing your paid social efforts on things like like reels and TikTok. Is that what I get? I think if if, if it produced the returns um, that would be conducive to our to our targets, I would say yes, we would be doing that. But I don't think we're there yet. We still are certainly in the feed. Um, and and again, I think like every day that we are, it is. I, I'm not going to say like that the feed is is not is not worthwhile because it certainly is, right? Like it, it certainly does still produce um, results. But but I think it's the proverbial kick in the can down the road. It's like the longer we sit in the space and the longer that we kind of fight against, you know, this unknown area, you know, which is, I think, probably part of the obstacle. I, I wouldn't say so much for us, but I think it is a very understandable obstacle. It's like, I don't know what's on the other side of that. I don't know how to solve that problem. So I'm just going to keep taking my diminishing returns and apply all this effort in here. And so, yeah, we're, we're still active 
thin feed. Um, and we still do see some some very good weeks, some some challenging weeks here and there. Um, but I think ultimately, like the shift is. Um, it's it's the wave is certainly coming, and I, I feel like that I'm I'm not the most credential person to speak on it, but but um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Now, okay, so th- this is something we don't talk about a lot. You know, I come from you know I'm partnered with a with a performance marketing agency, um, and so this on the Shopify side of things, on the actual store creation side, we don't do as much. And I'm you, you mentioned something about adding a quick shop to your collection page. Can you talk about the impact that had on the biz? So we, uh, <laughs> uh, Thomas, the senior art director, and myself. Uh, took on uh, redesigning and building the website on our own uh, last year, which we launched in, oh, we started like late 2020, and, and I think we launched in June 2021. Uh, one of the main things, which again, it's not, it's not this uh, unique novel concept of adding a quick shop feature within a collection page, um, but we did recognize through through data that we already had that uh, a lot of the, the conversion value was originating or, or the, the collection page had a lot to do with it obviously if people are like traveling through that process. So we thought, what can we do to, you know, just make it easier for people to add products to their cart? And so we just added, um, you know, the quick shop feature on desktop, which just allows people to quickly add it to um, add products to cart, which was also beneficial because our um, our pixel prioritization was add to cart through Facebook as well. So everything kind of like was situated for that. Um, but by adding the quick shop feature um, on our collection page, our um, add to cart rate grew, um, I, I mean, al- almost instantly, but I would say now that we've had, we've been live for like six, seven months, I mean, we, we grew like three to four hundred percent um and add to cart rate which certainly is is impacted the conversion rate a little bit right which which is a different situation but it's like at least we're getting there but we also again rely on our automation and email to to help uh you know close those uh close those deals or deals those purchases very cool okay so I, you mentioned earlier so what was the name of the leader that you worked with who you say is in the the, t- the point one percent mike pilkington mike pilkington do you do you have any other, it sounds like you've worked with a lot of great leaders from the, the original CEO to your current CEO. Do you have any other like pearls of wisdom around leadership that you've kind of really uh, taken to heart as you've built out your marketing team at Deathwish? Oh, too much. Um, too many things. And I, and I almost, again, feel like uh, uncredentialed to, to, to impart the wisdom. Um, I think well, one thing is the, um, the, the, the speed at which truth is shared in an organization is uh, I would say is, is is directly correlated to the success of that business and and what I mean by that is um, if we found out that our, our coffee bean had no caffeine in it for instance right and that was like a we're like oh shit and then me and like our, our VP of sales had that conversation let's say the VP of sales wife let's say she was friends with somebody who worked with a competing company and somehow that slipped through how fast would that information get through instant right they would instantly find that and so but because you know, we would be like, oh, what are we going to do? We got to kind of frame it the right way. We don't want to get, you know, like, but I don't know, I'm making this situation up. So it's like, I guess it doesn't fully make sense. But um, if we're not honest and directly uh, transparent about, you know, uh, situations, no, no matter what they are, um, then then we're just, you know, we're we're replicating blockbuster, you know. And so I think uh, the speed of truth is is, is highly important. Um, context over control. You know, we, we, we provide a tremendous amount of context to every every person that works at Deathwish. We're a big believer in having everybody own their own outcomes. Um, and that can't be done with micromanagement and and just overcorrection. You know, it's a lot of like, you know, fail fast, try it. Um, and if honestly, I think uh, if people are at our risk of 
adverse, um, especially depending upon the role here. If they're risk adverse, then we try to suss that out prior to even um, offering them a job. Uh, I would say, yeah, con context over control is a big one. Uh, I can't I can't say I've heard the word procedure ever used here. And if it is, usually somebody like throws something at the person who said it. You know, we're a big, you know, we, we try to roll out processes, um, you know, and 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 uh, obviously, which, which we do need because, again, we're, we're, we're still in graduate school. Like we're not, you know, we're not employed yet. You know, we're like we've we're not in elementary school, but we, we still got some growing up to do. Um, but yeah, context over control. I think um, uh, being honest, being 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 very very bluntly honest about um, our own shortcomings. You know, accountability is not uh, you know being accountable to like oh yeah that didn't go well. Being accountable is like you know getting caught doing the right thing. You know, and so I think um, and that that's not hard to see with anybody that 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 works here. You know, like um, I, I talk shit to people. Um, especially if they're on my team. And if like I'm walking out at six and Kelly, who's a, who's a head of our, um, our own marketing, if she's here at six, I'm like, stop being such a try hard. Like, you know, like I'm like, go home before me kind of thing. Right. Like, I don't want to look weird, but it's like, everyone's just eager to be here. So I think, um, you know, everyone, uh, yeah. Context over control, uh, speed of truth. I like that. Cause then you get them pulling together on their own, right? Like, and rather than it, it, it's, it's funny. I think of this agency that, you know, I started in this, in this agency at pilot house. Uh, we were 20 employees at the time. We're now 140. And I don't think it would have happened maybe if we were all in an office in a way like this insane hyper growth that we've experienced. It's because I think that the company's done such a good job of aligning people, incentivizing the right way, keeping things transparent and just, everyone just kind of pulls together with this like invisible thread of, uh, I, I also on my team on the, I had it described as like, just, you just got to be able to, you know, run along a bunch of other psychos, which is, <laughs> which is the one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think thick skin here is it's, it's important. I think one thing we started out too, which, which I, I subscribe to it was you know like oh we're a family it's like the family 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 and then I, I think it was Mike that 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 brought this up and he was like like we're not a family we can't be a family he's like we're we're a Super Bowl winning football team where it's like I love you like a family member but I expect the absolute best out of you because you're my teammate and so you know like it, it almost if anything I think it like kind of like uplifted like our our expectation relationship and and we're we're I would say we're very good but we're we're pretty good and I think we're going to be even better moving forward with um you know if, uh, giving actionable feedback feedback, not, you know, veiling feedback, um, like, or veiling personal tension as feedback, like, oh, you could have done that, you know, like, we're, we're very open and honest with one another in that process. And, um, and at the same time, like, super, super supportive, but expect the absolute best out of everyone at, at all times. And, and it's, I think, um, I, I applaud the, uh, the upper leadership, the C-suite on, on how they uh, orchestrate that and communicate that out, um, because I, I can't imagine how, um, how complex that, that could be, especially with 2020 till now. I mean, you've got 2020 and the great resignation. I mean, we have almost no turnover here. You know, I think like it's, it's just like we when we moved into this building, the, the day we got in here, um, actually, the day Mike Pilkington started at our old office, the day he started, there was a huge storm and it rained so heavily that we had to put a huge trash can in front of his office because it was just dumping water and he was like we got to get out of here so we spent this time we moved in this beautiful place in downtown saratoga the day we got here uh, we got here like at, i think it was like 1 p.m uh lindsay who's our chief people officer she was like hey everybody go home nobody can work from here anymore because of covid and so um once everything kind of opened back up and people could slowly start to come in you start to see people just kind of like dwindle in and dwindle in and, and we have a, a really cool 
work structure here where it's called flex to death, where you can either work from the office, you can work from home, or you can work remote. Doesn't matter if you live next door, doesn't matter anything. Um, uh, our, it's called CCT, which is core collaborated time, um, is between 8.45 and 3.30, which is the only time you have to be available. Um, anything outside of that, those hours, you don't have to be available whatsoever. Um, we're pretty much allowed to set our own schedule in any capacity. And I think just giving the control to, to, to the people in the context and um, uh, we had a conversation at a leadership meeting about three or four months ago and um, and someone had said, hey, can we just make the rule that Deathwish cannot be someone's first job because we're going to ruin them whenever they leave because they're going to come to the space where they're like, like, this is what it's like working for a company. And we're like, hell yeah, it is at least this company. But if you go somewhere else, it might be very, very different. And so, uh, which I thought was hilarious. And I think it really did kind of encapsulate what the, what the environment and experience is here. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just like, you know, it's, I, everybody knows everybody's down for the cause and everybody gives, cares a lot about the the organization and each other and what we're doing and our, our customers and our involvement with it. Like, I can't tell you how many times we've released something and seen just one person has had, you know, this like really strong negative opinion about how we did something or said something. And we like, we take that into serious consideration. We actually have, I have a, um, uh, we talked about like always keeping the customer in the room. And like, I literally created like a customer, you know, I was like, Hey, like whenever we make a decision, I'm like, I'm like, are we thinking with the customer in the room? And like, it's like, we'll bring the person, like the customer in there. It's like, so, you know, we, 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 uh, I would say we care a lot about it and it's, it's not just, it's not just conjecture or like, you know, outward statements. I don't think we're, we, we don't virtue signal really in, in any way. I think if anything, we're, we're a little too uh, bullish for that one, but yeah. That sounds great. We gotta we gotta wrap up here because because there is a there's an answer to a question that we haven't heard before, and I've got to ask you: If we were to give you a fifty thousand dollar grant to use for your marketing, how would you use it in the next month? Oh my god! Pre roll and display ads on Pornhub. Are you kidding me right now? Hold on. We've all been there, right? We've all been there. We've all been there. Okay. If if you if there was a pre roll video and it said hot coffee near you, tell me that wouldn't sound. There was a Tim Ferriss podcast that I listened to. I think he did an interview with Seth Godin a year ago. I was listening to the podcast. Tim Ferriss is like a relatively pretty straightforward person, right? He's got a personality, but he's not like a big jokester, at least from, you know, being a, an audience member of his. And I was listening to this podcast and I was super excited to hear the conversation. And he starts right into the ads and he's like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. This ad's brought to you by Pornhub. And I was like, I thought I was like, wait, what? Like I was like, Pornhub's advertising on Tim Ferriss. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding. And then like, he went into like, I think it was like four Sigmatic or something. And I was like, whoever wrote that ad copy was brilliant because it was just like, like, you know, like you're just thinking you're listening through ads and like, so, um, I think Pornhub's got a, a huge opportunity. I think, you know, especially if people look at like, oh, you know, do you want to associate yourself to something? And I, my perspective is like, you know, we glorify violence, but something about the sexual side of life is where it becomes a little too taboo and risky. And I think, uh, yeah, if we had, if I could, um, your brand is built for it. Your brand is built for it in a way, right? Because you're traversing mortality. You might as well get to sexuality in some way. And I, I got it. This is my, I haven't told anyone this. I have advertised on Pornhub before. I worked for a, I worked for like a CBD linear commerce outfit kind of before this. And at the ad that I created with a CBD, but it was about CBD and what's it called? What, whatever Viagra's for about, you know, can this be uh, something that helps, that, that helps with ED and, uh, 
It didn't. It do didn't well. do well. <laughs> it didn't do well. But it had. It was a great ad with a CBD bud that was limp, and then. Oh, uh, anyways, that's amazing. I can't get into it too much. My, I actually have to take my daughter to ballet, and she's looking at me right now. So we'll change the topic. Uh, if you want to know more about Deathwish Coffee, you should go to deathwishcoffee.com. If people want to, you know, I think Will, you're a marketing leader in this space. If people want to get in touch with you, as people often do when they're in our content, how do you suggest they do that? Uh, man, I'm I'm the coolest person in the world. Best way you can find me is LinkedIn. Right? Like I'm I'm the worst person on social. Best way to find me is LinkedIn or email me. I'm always down to talk it up. We're definitely going to have to do another one because I think there's a lot more that we could talk about here. I'd also love to have you back for like a boardroom post where you actually write for the newsletter a little bit, write a, write a piece on something near and dear to your heart. Love to, man. Love to invite you to do that as well. Yeah, love to. That's awesome. This is great. Thanks, Will. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much, man. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.